lovelies, and welcome back to another episode of LGBT in the Ring here on the Outsports Podcast Network. It is your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, back once again to take all of us down this lovely rainbow road of pro wrestling. And I am super excited to have my guest this week be one Rachel Giuliani. Um, She is best known probably for her lengthy and incredibly engrossing Twitter threads uh, centered around the Golden Lovers, most notably um, uh, Kota Bushi and Kenny Omega, but she also is just kind of a general Japanese pro wrestling fan, and I thought that it would be awesome to have some more uh, queer representation on the show to run through some of the more Japanese-centric headlines coming out of New Japan uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's Power Struggle event this weekend. Um, not to mention the fact that we got another installment of the Kenny's Quest story on AEW Dynamite last week whenever we saw Kenny Omega come out in his Sans costume, um, which uh, for me personally, being at the right at the intersection of pro wrestling and video games, was amazing to see. I dug everything about that <laughs> personally. Um, but before we get to that, I did want to hit some highlights, especially coming out of last week's show with Corey Erdman, where we discussed at length WWE's. Uh, most recent visit to Saudi Arabia, and I would be remiss if I didn't touch on some of the events of the weekend regarding that trip before we delve into my discussion with Rachel. So, if you haven't been following the story, basically after the Crown Jewel event happened, the flight back for the WWE talent that went over to Riyadh was delayed by about 30 hours. That being said, Vince McMahon got out of there... Um, on an earlier flight, uh, a, a group of about 20 or so uh, WWE officials and talent were also able to get out of the country via a uh, second charter flight. And then that was, some of the talent that was stuck there also put together their own charter flight as well to get out because everybody needed to be back for the SmackDown taping on fr- or the SmackDown broadcast on Friday. Um, but those, the talent that did charter that flight did not make it to Buffalo in time for SmackDown, and then the rest of them were just left in Riyadh for almost two days. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about, like, the cause of that, you know, the WWE has been sticking to this, their, their statement that it was, the delay was due to mechanical failures with the plane, which... I'm sure that might have been an issue, but that shouldn't be a 30-hour delay issue. That just seems preposterous to me. A lot of talent online, on social media, talking about never wanting to go back um, to Saudi Arabia, talent's wives, spouses, being very upset with the situation. Some even saying that it was resembled a hostage situation, which... 
there's no reports of anybody actually being taken hostage, like at gunpoint or anything like that. No violence or anything involved in it. Obviously, all the talent got back home. They're all safe and sound at home. Um, but all of this kind of stems from reports that Vince McMahon ordered the feed, the live feed of Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia be cut because the Crown Prince and the House of Saud had not or had been late on paying them for their previous event, uh, the Super Showdown. And, I don't know, this whole situation is just really... It depends on who you believe. Like, there's there's really no way to get a straight story out of all of this. At the end of the day, the fact that they still even went to Saudi Arabia knowing the issues that were at hand there, um, and basically tried to whitewash everything by putting on the first women's match in Saudi Arabia, um, which kudos to them, Natalia and Lacey Evans. Like, I'm sure that was a huge moment for them and I don't want to take anything away from that because it, it is, a, it is a big deal, but they are not changing the world. They're not changing the cultural landscape of Saudi Arabia by having those two women wrestle there you know, like they're wrestling there and they're celebrating it as if they have changed the entire culture of, of that nation. Whenever you still have a number of feminist protesters, feminist leaders that are remain imprisoned for protesting for some of the rights that they've been able to, to garner, you know, the, the, they, they touted the women's right to drive at a previous uh, Saudi Arabia WWE crossover event. Um, and a number of the women that fought, to earn that right, remain imprisoned in Saudi Arabia. So, like, you can't have your cake and and, and eat it too. There's two sides to this whole thing, and uh, no matter how you spin the messaging around it, going to Saudi Arabia in the first place was a mistake. At least when it comes to, like, how your audience, or at least a good chunk of your audience views your the morality of your company in a lot of ways which makes it even worse that before the the talent like before the situation had even really been put to bed um WWE announced that they were expanding their partnership with Saudi Arabia adding second events every year until the partnership uh is ends in 2027 so just more tone deafness on the hands of WWE heading into this the week after the Crown Jewel. And what really hurts and stings is to see that the talent isn't really standing up for themselves. And I don't know why that necessarily is happening. Like, a lot of the social media stuff was very much, like, never going back. And some of it was critical of, of the company. But when push comes to shove, very few actually voiced their opinion. Or vo- voiced opposition, rather. Whenever... It, whenever faced with an opportunity to do so. And, you know, I I can't speak to why that happened. I can't criticize them for not doing that fully because I don't, obviously, I'm not in that culture. I'm not in those locker rooms to know why someone would choose not to do that. But I, from where I'm at right now, I can definitely say that this issue should have never happened in the first place because they shouldn't have been in Saudi Arabia in the first place. But good to know that their stock price matters more than how they're perceived. Anyway, moving on from the dour note there, I did want to touch on a couple of um, pretty 
awesome events over the weekend before we get into the conversation as well. Um, if you saw, I wrote an article earlier this week kind of detailing what happened over the weekend in, in Bourbon, Illinois at the Shimmer uh, Wrestling uh, tapings where out-wrestler Ashley Vox, along with her sister, Delmi XO, collectively known as Team C-Stars, uh, were able to capture the Shimmer Tag Team Championships by defeating Melissa, uh, Mercedes Martinez and cheerleader Melissa. Uh, that was awesome to see, and I, I, I honestly, I look forward to seeing that match. I, all four of those women are outstanding, and I, I don't know, it was a highlight for me. There's a lot of turnover in Shimmer, a lot of new champions this weekend coming out of the tapings, but... Ashley and Delmi, they've been working very, very hard on the indie circuit. You know, I've watched them in Battle Club a lot, and and all of the best to them. That has to be a humongous highlight for them. Um, but that wasn't the only place that they were this weekend. Uh, there was also the latest Rise event, uh, La Escalera, which featured a number of LGBTQ talent on on the show um probably most most notably jake atlas um competing in the la escalera elimination ladder match um, putting on a great show alongside priscilla kelly uh hyan saw the return of kylie ray which is awesome to see and then of course you have the sea stars competing there against mercedes martinez and miranda alizé light the drink um and an awesome kind of send-off show for Shotzi Blackheart as she moves on to NXT. Um, you know, Shotzi was one of the loudest voices w- during the initial moments of the intergender wrestling movement, and was a very large proponent of that movement. So seeing her get her shot in the, in, in a company that is going to, you know, even though it is problematic, it does have the best capabilities of signal boosting awesome people. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm really glad to, that Shotzi is being able to um, live that dream for her. Um, but shout out to Rise, though, it was an awesome show. Um, also, like anytime I get the chance to see Cassandro wrestle, the Lucha Exotico legend Cassandro um, is outstanding. I have only had the privilege of seeing him wrestle once alive and I will remember that day until I have no more days. It's so good. His match against Soraya Knight, uh, mother of Paige of WWE fame, was awesome to watch. And adding Colt Cabana in there was a pretty fun little spin as well. Um, And then, of course, the event that came before both of those is over in Brooklyn at the House of Yes. We had Uncanny Attraction's latest event, the Drags and Dropkicks Nightmare on, I will try to say the street right, Nightmare on Wyckoff Street, um, or Wyckoff Avenue, I apologize, uh, which, honestly, Uncanny Attractions for, for LGBTQ wrestling fans is, is a company that needs to be constantly watched. They are Their mission, basically, is to put as many LGBTQ uh, women and people of color on their shows, and this lineup had delivered plenty of that. Not most notably, you had the Nobodies uh, from YouTube fame. You had Ariel Italic and Lady Berica doing uh, drag numbers at the beginning and midpoint of the show before joining fellow Nobody DJ Accident Report 
on commentary for the final few matches and basically becoming like what they said and what I honestly after looking through some stuff look at uh, believe to be the first all queer announcing team uh, at any pro wrestling pay-per-view uh, which was awesome to see especially considering there was a vast number of LGBTQ talent in these matches you had Killian McMurphy the the fiance of one Sonny Kiss from AEW in there against Alley Cat Pinky Sanchez which by the way I had not yet seen a Pinky Sanchez match I heard about Pinky Sanchez and I've seen a few clips here and there, but watching the whole match and the entrance and the p- Pazuzu, I bow. So good. Um, not to mention you had uh, Billy Dixon and Ariella Nix in a bodega, Bronx bodega brawl that was so ridiculous and so great. As someone who uh, basically shoots Cafe Bustelo into their veins um, and knows the dangers of a chancla, uh, of a, uh, sorry, knows the dangers of a chancla, <laughs> that was an awesome match to watch and ridiculous, even down to the reemergence of the Bundertaker. Pro wrestling's great. Pro wrestling's the best. <laughs> but also you had MV Young, you had Effie, uh, finally having his showdown with Harlow or with uh, Haro O'Hara from Battle Club Pro, and then you also got the announcement that they're going to be in Tampa on WrestleMania weekend. So another great show that whenever I inevitably get down to Tampa for that weekend, I'm going to have to m- check out because Uncanny Attractions is killing it. They they are outstanding, and I honestly can't wait to see what's next from them. But I do know what's next for us. We are going to get to my conversation with Rachel Giuliani right now. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. We It is New Japan Talkie Weeks this week. We had Power Struggle go down over the weekend. Um, we also had some interesting developments in AEW with some stuff related to New Japan involving one Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi. And there's no one I would rather have on to discuss all things New Japan and Kenny Omega than um, Rachel Giuliani. You know her from Twitter, at uh, effing boring. Well known for her lengthy and informative and downright emotional Twitter threads about the Golden Lovers and wrestling as a whole. And after her latest Twitter thread about the uh, the Kinney's Quest video that we got on the Halloween-ish episode of AEW Dynamite last week, I, I had to have her on to discuss these things. So welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I am excited as well. I, I would know we... We kind of like a mutual thing through the Omega Man documentary mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we haven't really had a chance to catch up since then. Yeah. Um, so um, before we get into that, I, if you could just I want to go back to uh, the Golden Lovers thread that you did originally. Uh-huh. Um, I'm curious, like how you first like kind of got interested in maybe not pro wrestling as a whole, but that storyline, I guess, specifically. Um, yeah, well, I think, I think it's actually, that is how I got interested in wrestling as a whole. Um, 
my partner had gotten back into wrestling and he kept bothering me to like, please watch wrestling with me. And I was like, Oh, it's so lame. I don't want to watch it. Um, and he, when I finally said, fine, I will watch this with you. Um, he, <laughs> he picked out the best match that he could think of to show me for my first match. And it was an Ibushi match. And the second I saw Kota Ibushi do a golden triangle moonsault, I was just like, I, this person is the coolest human being I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I've never seen anyone so talented and dazzling before. And so I just had to like know everything about him. And I was like, okay, I like wrestling now. Um, and, like my very first match that I ever watched, I was like, that's my favorite wrestler. I literally said that that's my favorite wrestler. Um, and it still is. Um, <laughs> and so I started learning more about him and started kind of like going on Wikipedia and doing all that stuff. Um, and the thing that had gotten my partner back in wrestling was the thing that got a lot of people back in wrestling, which was um, Omega versus Okada at Wrestle Kingdom 11. And so mm -hmm. he was like, now that you understand wrestling, you can watch this match, this like legendary Omega versus Okada match. Um, and as I was researching Koda, I, I was like, hey, Kenny Omega, I've heard of him. They were a tag team. Why didn't anyone tell me? Um, and I sort of started researching Golden Lovers and going back and looking through all their stuff. Um, and I was like, oh, this is... Um, this is really gay. This is a love story. And why, like, why didn't anybody like tell me, like, why don't you tell me this? Why don't you just like start with that? Um, and so <laughs> that was what the, that was what showed me the way that wrestling could tell long-term stories. Um, <clears throat> and, and what got me really hooked was just like, wow, there's a lot of potential for telling really meaningful, emotional stories here. Um, and I had no idea that this was that kind of medium. And I've always loved sort of the drama of sports, I guess. Uh, but I'm a wuss and I hate real violence and blood. Um, <laughs> so pro wrestling was great because it has all the drama of sports, but in a way that is, you know, often more satisfying than regular sports because it has, um, you know, a, a predetermined outcome and less um, potential for watching somebody get horribly injured. Um, on, on live TV. Yes. Most, yeah. most of the time. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it's funny though, that, like that, the way you got back into it, they mentioning how your partner like kind of stewed over what match to show you and like yeah. the realization that this, this uh, golden lovers uh, team was like, had a very gay vibe to it. Yeah. That's, that's almost exactly parallels how it happened with me and my partner. Um, because like I've been a wrestling fan for like, over 20 years at this point, and my partner had never really watched anything, so like I had to stew over what match to show them. That ended up being uh, Shinsuke Nakamura's debut in NXT against Sami Zayn. Great match. Yes, mm -hmm. and I thought that was perfect, and they like they got into that. But then once I started showing them Golden Lovers, they're like, "Oh, that's that's super gay. Yeah. I can hold on to this." I can grab this. And then like that just went on to like Dalton Castle and then went on to like all this other stuff. And it's just been really fun to watch them kind of grasp onto different things in, yeah. in the business as well. Yeah. I, I mean, this is like, maybe this is a little bit of a tangent, but it, the, the gayness was awesome, of course. And I love things that are gay, um, especially love stories. But the thing that really grabbed me about them, this is very cheesy, is, uh, is how they were just really obviously like soulmates. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> because I, 
I sort of like had a golden lover at one point in my life and things went badly and whatever, but I saw the second I saw them, I was like, wow, the way they interact, that's just people who share a brain. I, I saw it immediately. And it was this thing that I had lost from my life that I didn't know if it was even real because <laughs> it, it, it had been this weird relationship with a, like a very, someone who's very in sync with me. And, um, and, and after it was gone, I was like, did I make that up? And then I saw them and I was like, oh my God, I didn't make it up. My love is real. Um, <laughs> so, um, so it actually, I mean, it wasn't the, the queerness that was the most important thing for me. It was like, this is a genuine depiction of two people who are extremely connected to each other. Um, and that was actually the thing that, that really hooked me was because I had not, it just validated something that I'd, thought I made up. <laughs> so, no, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. I think I think we all kind of have something like that in our lives, whether it's gotten away or has come back to us or something. Like, it's very relatable, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, like, it kind of plays into what we're going to talk about a little bit later with the, the latest uh, Sans cosplay mm -hmm. on, on Dynamite, where, like, that <laughs> that was very real yeah. in a lot of ways. <laughs> Um, but before we get there, uh, since we already mentioned uh, Omega Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, mm -hmm. we got our last real stop on the way to Wrestle Kingdom 14 on this past weekend with Power Struggle, mm -hmm. um, where I mean, there were a, there were a few major matches, major moments there. Um, I think uh, obviously it was the finals of the Super Junior uh, Tag League, mm -hmm. and but like power struggle has done in the past few years like there were some notable returns notable um challenges and that sort of thing so i, I want to get into like some of the more um wrestle kingdom centric aspects from the show yeah obviously um i think we can we can move talk about the uh the double champion like mini tournament that's going to be happening but i want to touch on um the Super Junior Tag League final first because yeah. for the third year in a row, Show and Yo, Rapongi 3K, or as I know them from the first time I saw them, the Tempura Boys mm -hmm. back at Ring of Honor. Uh -huh. Jesus, <laughs> that, that gimmick was. I am so glad that's gone. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. That was also um, when I first saw them. They were the Tempura Boys when I first saw them as well. Um, yeah. So glad, glad that's over. <laughs> I'm glad they're knocking it out of the park on the excursion uh, yes. gimmicks. I'm looking yeah. at Oa with whatever he's doing Halloween thing. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, but anyway, so they they won the th for the third year in a row. They defeated uh, El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, um, mm -hmm. which glad to see Despi back finally. Yep, yep. A lengthy recovery from that broken jaw for him. Um, I I want to gauge your thoughts. Like, do you think uh, them? putting those trophies back on show and yo and putting them back into the junior heavyweight tag team title scene at Wrestle Kingdom 14. Do you think it's like, is it too much of the same or did it, how did it come off to you with that, with them winning that match? Um, well, I mean, personally, I love Rapagi 3k. I just adore them, but, um, <laughs> just so like as somebody who's a fan of them, I'm like, yes, give them all the titles, give them all the trophies. Um, but it kind of highlights a bigger problem that new Japan has where they have maybe, maybe two dedicated tag teams, two tag teams who are primarily tag teams. Um, 
that is Rapongi 3K and G.O.D. And I can't even think of any others that they have. Like Sonata and Evil frequently tag, but they're mostly singles wrestlers. Despi and Kanemaru, uh, same thing. And every tag team that was in the Super Junior Tag League was pretty ad hoc, except Rapongi 3K. Um, so in that sense, it makes sense to put to give them the trophies again um and it, it sort of shows that like they don't really have anyone else that they can really build as a tag team because all the rest of those people are singles wrestlers um and i think i hope anyway or i i've been seeing sort of there, there keeps being talk like hiromu and uh uh will osprey at the press conference hiromu said in English, we should make a faction, you and me, uh, uh, and and take as junior heavyweights take on the heavyweights. And they had Sho and Yo uh, challenge for the heavyweight uh, tag belts on the most recent U.S. tour. Um, and so it seems like there might be some rumbling about either unifying the tag division or making it, you know doing something with it where it's not quite as stratified because they really have a pretty weak tag division, both junior and heavyweight, I think. Um, so I hope that wasn't too long an answer. No, no, you're perfectly fine. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think a lot, tag teams have not really had a lot of focus in New Japan in the past, like, two to three years, I would say. You know, ever since, especially since the teams like the Young Bucks have left mm-hmm. that really held down. I mean, they held down the junior division for years, along with teams like like Rapungi Vice and um, oh, see, that's a, like outside of those two. Like, is even even then, like going back to like or the Wrestle Kingdom eleven time period, like there still weren't a ton of like mm-hmm. set focused tag teams in the junior division, and that's even gotten worse in the heavyweight division now. Totally, um, they lost where, like, War Machine. They lost Killer Elite Squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they had at least some semblance of i mean they even even a couple years ago ten cozy was still in the tag division and they're not anymore so yeah yeah they, yeah, they I mean, haven't really replaced there's a vacuum there no definitely i'm just i i know they just released um as of our recording they just released the the teams for the tag league this year oh, and it is it is basically the same situation that we saw in the junior tag league. Everything is just basically just throw a couple of people together that are in the same faction that don't really team together. Like, and they made some very odd choices too. I don't mean to digress from power struggle real quick, but the fact that they have split up Zack Sabre's Zack Sabre Jr. And Minoru Suzuki as a team for the tag league is bewildering to me. Yeah. They put, they put Zack Sabre with Tai Chi Mm -hmm. and uh, Suzuki's with Archer. All right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like those things all make sense, but you also could have done any mix of those four people, and it would have made just as much sense. I mean, I know Zack Saber Jr. and Suzuki have tagged sometimes, um, and kind of thematically it makes sense, but that yeah, that's it sounds like the same. I actually haven't even seen the uh, the tag league, uh team ups yet so i can't really see anything but yeah, yeah i mean there's there's not a lot of shock there i would say like it, although the main thing that surprised me was that they put uh honma back in with makabe hmm. so they're back together and then ten is actually in the tournament again so yay yeah i'm happy i'm happy to see kojima in there i tenzon mm-hmm. it, 
I feel so bad every time I watch him because like I love Hiro- Hiroshi Tenzan. Mm-hmm. I just I just want him to get out of every match that he's in without yes. like hurting his yeah. his leg any yeah. more than he already has. Yeah, God. he looks really stiff. Kojima looks amazing, um, but yeah, yes. Tenzan looks real stiff a lot of the Bread time. Bread Club all the way. All the way for life. Yes. Um, so, but yeah, so they're going to be challenging uh, the champions uh, of Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori, who had their own match earlier in the night, mm-hmm. um, where they beat uh, Rocky Romero and, oh God, why is this escaping Taguchi? me right now? Thank. Was it Taguchi? That was Rocky's thought, partner for the for the tag league. It, yeah, he was. I thought that they had split them up. Maybe they, they did. I I don't maybe. remember. I feel bad. There we go. Yeah, it was uh, Romero and Robbie Eagles. In that match. Oh, okay. Sure, yeah. Right. Because Will Osprey had a. T- okay. Yeah. yeah. Which honestly, it was just a showcase to put like for Phantasmo and Ishimori heading mm-hmm. into that match. So mm-hmm. it, it, it was all right. Um, but then, of course, they came in and attacked Rapungi 3K after the win, stole the trophies a la yeah. Toriano a few mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I, I, I'm excited to see that match on January 5th. I obviously it'll be a good match. You have four really good, strong workers in there. Right. Um, but at the same time, like it's hard for me to really pump up my excitement a lot. Can just consider like, it's stuff that I've seen before in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. So. Yep. They have yeah. that problem with the tag division uh, all the time. Like, yeah. I feel like I've seen God versus evil and Sonata like 20 times. Yeah, I felt that way like the second time I saw Evil and Sonata against Killer Elite Squad yeah. like, last year. So, yeah. But there were more exciting things to happen. Yes. Uh, we did see the aforementioned uh, Kota Bushi, which, by the way, I have to commend. I didn't know it was your birthday yesterday. And oh. yes, happy birthday, first <laughs> Thank off. Thank you. Thank you. And, and second off, um, all of the rare Kota pictures that you got <laughs> on your feed are priceless. Thank you. Yeah, they're they're I, great. Yes. Great. I, I if you're wondering, I tweeted it's it's my birthday. Send me rare Kodas. And people because uh Koda Bushi's my favorite wrestler. Don't know if I already mentioned that immediately when this started, but yeah. Um and so I asked for that and uh and people sent me some great like old DDT stuff. A lot of it I've already seen because he's my fave, but um a lot of a lot of real good deep cuts there. Definitely, like I, a lot of stuff I hadn't even seen, so mm-hmm. it's really good. Um, but yeah. they were involved in a tag team match, um, where Okada teamed with Yoshihashi mm-hmm. against Ibushi and Tanahashi. Mm-hmm. The match itself was, you know, it was it was good, it was solid. But yep. the real news coming out of it was after the match ended, and we got to see, um, the Clown Prince himself beating mm-hmm. up a Halloween party full of Hiro- of Hiroshi Tanahashi's. Chris Jericho was yeah. back. <laughs> the pain maker is here mm-hmm. with his like grandpa goth makeup and and he is ready to take on Hiroshi Tanahashi mm-hmm. at Wrestle Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um it, I don't think it came as much of a surprise considering the the tease that Jericho made back at Dominion the last time he was in yeah. the New yeah, Japan it felt, arena. It felt very expected. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know what to expect with this match. Um yeah, I don't either. I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's a, it's a dream match, right? Like, these two are pillars of pro wrestling worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're two people who 
you just can't say enough about how important they are to the business. And so I'm sure that, um, like, I haven't been a wrestling fan very long, only a few years. So I didn't have the nostalgia of growing up watching Chris Jericho. But um, I, I think for a lot of people, this is going to be something that they would have wanted to see in, you know, in their dreams. So I, in that sense, I think it's good. I, I don't know what to expect either. They both, um, they both work a style that is kind of slow and kind of, you know, um, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not articulating myself well here, but no, you're fine. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm, and then I don't know when you could cut this out if you want, but the thing with Jericho having a Don Jr. on his podcast yesterday makes me like just not even want to watch it. So no. <laughs> I, I look, I, I completely understand. I feel the exact same way. I saw that picture of them together and I was just like, why are you doing this? Like mm-hmm. it, it makes God. Yeah. Like I get I, I, in some ways it did suck some of the excitement for the match itself out of out of yeah. things for me like yeah. i i was already kind of wary about it just because a lot of jericho stuff in new japan recently has been very um like no dq focused mm-hmm. not really working up to the style that tana normally puts out there and especially mm-hmm. coming off of last year's wrestle kingdom where the entire storyline was like tana's style versus omega's style right you know mm-hmm. so like in that instance, I was already a bit wary, but then seeing some of the stuff with the, the stuff with him and Don Jr. Uh, having him on the Talk of Jericho podcast is just God. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, there's been a lot of talk about like don't attach your politics to people that you don't know in the public sphere, mm-hmm. and I totally understand that. But at the same time, come on. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a, there's a line, right? Like, there's there. I mean. I don't want to get too like awfully political, but you know, like at this point, giving a giving a platform to members of the Trump family is a is a pretty big statement, I think. Um, Just given what they mean to the the country right now, Um, so yeah, you want to like kind of not think about people's politics, but there's there's a line. I think you can't just say, well, it doesn't matter because it's all fiction. Because it does matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, it uh, yeah, it, it definitely took the took any wind that I had in my sails about that match with Tanahashi out of those sails. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do know what put some wind in your sails, though, because it put pretty much everybody's sails a flutter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the Will Ospreay and Bushi Junior Heavyweight Tag uh, Junior Heavyweight t- uh, Title Match was awesome. Probably, mm-hmm. probably the best Bushi match I've seen in years at this point. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to not have that that caliber of a match against Osprey right now. I'm pretty sure he's mm-hmm. one of the best going in the business right now. He totally is. He's. I mean, the English commentary was saying like, "Is there even anybody else who has a claim to Wrestler of the Year besides yeah. Will Ospreay?" And I mean, they they are. Right. I know some people like kind of dislike Will Ospreay because he's been kind of a dick on Twitter, but they're right. Like he was in all of the he was in Best of the Super Juniors, the G1 and the New Japan Cup. He has traveled all over the world. He's just put on stellar match after stellar match. He's he's the guy. Yeah, I can't he, deny that at all. He got us amazing red back in the ring. Like, oh, I God. Will, yeah. Yes, I, will I take was there that. in person for that. Oh, I'm so jealous of yeah. you right now. <laughs> it was 
it was amazing. It was everything that I hoped I hadn't, like I said, I'm kind of a recent uh, wrestling fan, so I didn't really know much about Amazing Red. Um, and then, of course, I did my research before I was going to see that and just immediately knew, like, wow, I get to see something very special. So, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Now, I, I'm full on Team Sex Pig, by the way. Mm. Thumbs up. Will Ospreay on Twitter. Um, <laughs> anyway, but the real news coming out of that match, though, was uh, the time bomb is back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hiromu Takahashi came out. Uh, well, before he even came out, we got this. We got a, a cinematic with Daryl and Carol. Right. Yes. Uh, no, oh. it's like Nauru is the name of the new one, the red one. Okay. Okay. Please, please get this right, Brian. <laughs> I, it's okay. That's why we have you here, so we get it, so we can get this right. Okay. I am yeah. perfectly fine being corrected. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Carol, Carol's a different cat. So. Okay. See, that's it. There you go. I'm too many cats to keep track of. It is, uh, but you know, do it doesn't for mean, <laughs> Exactly. So we had we had the cats come out, and then here comes Hiromu, still wearing his neck brace. Mm-hmm. Carrying Daryl and say the Nauru. name one more time for me. N- Nauru. Nauru? I, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but yeah. It's all right. It's better than what I was saying. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so it comes out holding Daryl and Nauru and hurls the neck brace off of himself, runs to the ring, drops the, the respective cats off with a weeping Milano Collection AT so and good. Kevin Kelly. <laughs> Oh my yep. god, this moment was so mm-hmm. just like it racked me. And then mm-hmm. gets in, like starts just running around the ring into the barricades, gets in the ring, takes a full on jumping back bump, mm-hmm. just like pr- just just the same craziness that we have come to expect, all while wearing this very very loud and like a suit that I just want in it's, my closet so right good. now. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I tweeted about like he he invented fashion basically like that suit <laughs> he didn't even have to do anything I mean he did amazing stuff when he came out but he didn't have to do anything else but wear that suit yeah it's cool when you see someone come back from injury and you know they're better than they were before and Hiromu proved that even with his fashion like he has even upgraded uh his look so legendary great it was wonderful Yes, completely agreed. And then he followed that up by basically stay, stating that he is not changing his wrestling style. Mm-hmm. The the reckless abandon that caused him to break his neck over a year ago is not going away. Um, and then did a full-on neck bridge and mm-hmm. challenged Will Ospreay to a match for the junior heavyweight title at Wrestle Kingdom 14. Yep. Um, yes. So... That is one hell of a stage for for him to have his first match back at. Um, And I'm hoping that since he's been gone for so long, and New Japan was very vocal about giving him enough time to recoup to where he is 100% or as -hmm. close to as 100% as he could be. 2,000, maybe? He he started counting. He started counting, and I think he got to like 2,000-something percent. Okay, that'll work. He's he's great. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so I don't know. I, this match might be the one of. It's so hard to pick with the with the lineup that we have for Wrestle Kingdom so far. But this mm-hmm. might be the most anticipated match for me personally. I don't know how you're feeling. Uh, it's it's up there for me. I mean, 
he is new japan's junior division is ridiculous like the talent in their junior division is just amazing but even with the incredible like just breadth and depth of talent that they have there was a noticeable lack of Hiromu <laughs> oh, um, totally yeah and and he was clearly being built up as was one of the pillars of the of the division um and well deserved of course um so it, it's it's gonna be so good to see him back and on that huge stage he's always had I, I think just like amazing matches at Wrestle Kingdom um so I'm I'm really pumped to see him come back on that huge stage and and show remind us what he can do um and and will osprey is one of his best opponents i think historically um they are they are great together they really are um and they're both people who have great chemistry with a lot of people but together they are they are each other's they are two of each other's top opponents i think no, I completely agree. I think I think really the only one that Osprey really ranks behind is Dragon Lee, and I'll be perfectly mm-hmm. fine if I don't see a Dragon Lee Hiromu Takahashi match for a little <laughs> while. Yeah, I think uh, I think they both want that to happen, Lee and Hiromu. But um, and, and you know, it's it's kind of good to make us wait because we know that that has to happen. You know, it, it just mm-hmm. story wise, that it, he has to come back to Dragon Lee and deal with what happened there. Uh, and Dragon Lee has been really publicly dealing with the guilt that he feels uh, toward hurting Hiromu. The yeah. thing that's wonderful about Hiromu is that um, all of his opponents, like even Despy, Dragon Lee, all all of them are just like, we love you. <laughs> um, and that's like just totally fine in kayfabe. Like the, the, the press conference, uh, I think he, Will brought him a little stuffed pig and and then they hugged at the end and they Mm -hmm. hugged they hugged in the ring too um and and that's like his rivalry with everyone is just like (laughs) it's just like i love you you're my best friend but also we're gonna beat each other up and it's just such a wonderful way to have every rivalry it's just all your rivals just really love you It's, it's it's great and i can't wait to see the eventual payoff of dragon lee and hiromu meeting each other again Yes, yes, I, I'm right there with you. Um, before we move on to the the last major thing, though, does it concern you at all that Hiromu is so like stalwart in that he is not changing his style or like trying to like maybe like make his make his entering work a bit safer just for his own longevity? Um, no, I, I mean, and that's I know that's a weird thing to say, but his style is so much a part of his character um and what happened to him is uh, they were doing a very risky move and what happened to him is something that could have happened to anyone at any time mm-hmm. um and that i feel that that is kind of the reality of pro wrestling uh he does at, he he looks reckless but he actually is i don't think he's any less uh, risky than other than other people. I mean, all of the juniors kind of work a really, really um, flashy, sometimes risky style, but they all seem to consider it just part of what they do. Um, 
And he's at his best when he is doing that because he really makes his fighting style part of his character work as well. Um, it, you know, he's that kind of like time bomb. He can, you know, he, he is um, chaotic. He can, he could, you know, snap at any time, either character wise or physically or both. Um, and, and that's just part of who he is. So I don't blame him. Um, I want all wrestlers to be safe. I would rather all wrestlers be safe rather than flashy, but I totally understand that he is not going to work a, you know, not going to go safe after this because I, you know, he, what, what is he going to do instead? You know? Yeah. I mean, all you can do is hope that he knows his own limitations and is able to keep doing that within his own power. Yeah. I I hope so too. I hope that there, it seemed like early and it's always hard to tell what's kayfabe and what's not, but when he was talking about it on Twitter, he felt very guilty about being um, not in front of the fans. He felt very like he was letting his fans down and stuff like that. So I don't want, I wouldn't want any wrestler to feel like if they don't do that high risk style that, that they're letting the fans down. Um, But I, I, I think that part of it has to be that you know your limitations and that you know when to stop um, or else you won't last very long. No, completely agreed. Um, uh, So the time has come okay. let's talk about the the double championship the okay. the thing that is going to dominate wrestle kingdom we yeah. have for the iwgp heavyweight title and then we have jay white who retained his intercontinental title against hiroki goto mm-hmm. in a match that made me pray that they are not going to put katsuyori shibata back in a ring um against <laughs> tetsuya naito Yep. So I am very curious about the route that they are going to take with this. I mm-hmm. it's so many every player in this little four-way dance is has such a level of popularity and a level of reverence. Um probably yeah. Jay White being the least of the four just cuz he hasn't been there as long. Um that it's hard to tell exactly what direction they're going to go. I know there's been a lot of talk about like Naito being the per the, like being ready to strap the rocket to in some ways. Mm-hmm. And same has been said about Ibushi. Mm-hmm. Okada is a proven commodity. He's like one of the best wrestlers in the world, if not the best. Yep. And then Jay White is the most hateable heel that I have seen in probably yep. 10 years in pro wrestling and it is a beautiful sight to see he's, he's brilliant brilliantly yes. awful yes <laughs> the, the knife pervert gets me to boo oh, so yeah. hard um the beard just like the, the, he's so he's so terrible in in the best way you know people were like shitting on sonata for his beard like jay white's beard is way worse than sonata's <laughs> beard ever was i'm sorry i mean i don't know because jay white's beard feels like part of his heel persona like it feels <laughs> like he's supposed to look like an asshole and <laughs> sonata was just like i'm covering up my handsome face because i can you know and so I, in some ways i see the argument there like <laughs> Oh, it's okay. I I realize I'm in the minority there. I totally realize that. Um, But 
so we have our two matches set. And then yeah. the next night, January 5th, we will have the two emerging champions facing off against one another. I know as an Abushi fan, you probably want to see the Golden Star come out on top of all of this. Mm-hmm. Where do you, like, like both heart and mind, kind of see this all panning out come uh, New Year's Dash, January 6th? Yeah, I, I don't know. So... To me, um, this feels like one of the drawbacks of New Japan's long-term booking um, in that it always makes so much story sense. It always it always builds so perfectly and so well that sometimes you can see things coming um, and, and, you know, anything could happen, really. Um, but to me, the outcome of this feels pretty like, okay, I know what's happening here. Um, just for a lot of reasons that are sort of mechanical outside of kayfabe reasons. Um, so yes, of course, I want I want the thing to end with Ibushi as double champ because I love him. Um, but I do not think that's going to happen. <laughs> um, I I think that uh, that my man's is going to have to lose twice in the same Wrestle Kingdom, and I'm just going to mm. be ready for that um, because because um, I think you know. Okada versus Naito has not happened as a singles match since Wrestle Kingdom 12. So for two years, they have protected the shit out of that match. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people have wanted it. So many people were so upset with the way Wrestle Kingdom 12 ended. Um, I was actually there. I was at the Tokyo Dome um, mm-hmm. for Wrestle Kingdom 12, which was amazing. Um, and I was I the only person cheering for Okada <laughs> <laughs> um, in my section. Um, and, but the, the second that three count hit, LIJ fans unmasked just got up and left like mm. Japanese LIJ fans too. Like, so not just the foreigners who were there, but like people were so upset. Like you could just see a mass of people in LIJ shirts leaving. Um, so it, it's clear that like so many people think that that was the wrong choice. Um, Booking-wise, I'm in the minority. I thought that that was the right choice to keep Okada as champ, but um, it Naito has kind of had a weird path since then, where he's kind of like fucked around with the IC title, um, but he he's had all these weird feuds with like Taichi and stuff. Um, yeah, and and so I think to to keep him on that odd kind of losing wandering sort of thing would do damage to him so i think they've been building this since wrestle kingdom 12 for naito to leave as double champ um and and to come back to revisit that naito versus okada that everybody's been wanting uh we barely even like sometimes they have multi-man tag matches against each other but we barely ever see them interact and i think that there's a reason for that um so i think Okada will retain and um and then on the second night um the second night there's a special singles match between the two losers between the loser of the heavyweight title match and the loser of the IC title match mm-hmm. um so Okada will retain Naito will win the IC Ibushi will lose against Jay White so Jay White gets his win back from the G1 finals ah <laughs> um, uh, god and <laughs> Naito will leave as double champ this is my prediction. I hate making predictions uh, just because it's like the least fun part of wrestling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is that's my feeling just based on everything I've seen. I don't know if that's too like maybe I should talk more about story and kayfabe and stuff. But 
it's hard for me to see it playing out any other way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe it will. Like, I can always, you know, I can always be wrong. And I'd be happy to be wrong because uh, right now I've got Ibushi losing twice. So. <laughs> um, so I... I might be in the same boat as you in terms of like where my mind sees things going. I would not honestly be surprised if Ibushi does come out on top against Okada, personally. Mm -hmm. If only because New Japan, for some reason, loves seeing Kota Ibushi and Tetsuya Naito just try to kill each other Mm -hmm. in the ring. (laughs) Yes. they do. And, yeah. yeah. And honestly, like in some ways, I, I feel like that match would be just as hot to the crowd um, as Okada and Naito. Obviously, it doesn't have as much backstory to it because you can go all the way back to what was it, Wrestle Kingdom 9, mm-hmm. whenever they had the fan the vote. Fan which, vote? Yeah. yeah. Which, which Okada, Okada took great pleasure in reminding me. Exactly. Myself, which Throwing I love. the shade yeah. right at that man. And he did, oh. um, he did it before Wrestle Kingdom 12, too, because um, Wrestle Kingdom 12 was uh, the semi-main or the double main was Jericho uh, versus um, uh, Jericho and Omega. Mm-hmm. And so um, Okada said, you know, the last time we had a double main event was you two, uh, was me and you. Um, and then last year it was just me and Kenny. We were the main event. So uh, who's... <laughs> So whose fault is the double main event thing? God, like, just, like... <laughs> just nasty. Yeah, he's he's awful. And it's I love I mean, I love everything about Okada, but I really love uh sassy jackass Okada, like kind of healing a little bit. Um mm-hmm. so especially if the ultimate uh ending is that he's gonna lose his belt. Um so I mean which is which I think he gets more, uh, like, <laughs> mean, just outright mean, when he's af- afraid of losing his belt. Um, so this is well, a, a nice moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's for good reason. We saw what happened to him, like, character-wise last time he lost the yeah. belt. Yeah. Like, just devolved into this, like what was it like a like dubstep remix version of this music <laughs> oh, yeah. coming out with throwing balloons at Rocky Romero and like, yeah, with the red hair and the, yeah, just like completely off kilter. So yep. like in some ways, like losing that belt, like is losing part of his identity. It's a huge part of his identity. Like yeah. he has been champion. That's the only belt he's ever had. And he's been champion for so long. He pretty much immediately started feuding with Tanahashi as soon as he became a person um you know in in new japan and so it's just so tied to what he is and who he is he he even talks about like i only care about this belt i don't care about the ic title whatever um because it's just like if he is not that guy who is he (laughs) Um, (laughs) and he he like stopped doing the rainmaker pose and all of that at the time for a while, he was still in the Rainmaker jacket, but he would just walk around sadly instead of doing the Rainmaker pose, if you recall. Yeah. Before he, before he became Balloon Okada, he was just, like, sad Rainmaker. <laughs> um, so I, I think that he, he... I love that arc of his, and I think he needs a slightly longer wander in the wilderness. 
um, <laughs> this time. Yeah. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, though, I do think that that Jay White is going to get his win back, whether he's facing Ibushi or Okada on the second night. Right. Because he, he has he there's beef with both of them. You know, the G1 yep. final for Ibushi, the G1 Supercard at Madison Square Garden for Okada mm-hmm. when he won back the belt. Mm-hmm. You know, so like there's definitely some there's a lot of ways that this can go. I think either way, I, I want, I feel like Naito is going to be coming out on top. Yeah. Um, yeah in all of too. this, which yep. honestly, in some ways it feels a little off because Wrestle Kingdom 12 was the moment. Like mm-hmm. Wrestle Kingdom 12 was where it was the pinnacle of, or at least I feel like it was the pinnacle of the LIJ um, yeah. movement in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Um, and it's, it's definitely from what I've seen and granted, I haven't been boots on the ground in Tokyo for, for shows or anything like that, but it just seems like a lot of that heat is kind of tapered off a bit, but during his rivalries with Tai Chi and, you know, going back and forth with, uh, with Jericho, I don't, it's just, it felt like they didn't know what to do with him a lot. Yeah. Like, I actually liked the decision to have Okada win at Wrestle Kingdom 12. I know that this is like the the most unpopular opinion. Um, <laughs> I, I would have liked to see Naito win as well, but I liked the decision to have Okada win just because I know they wanted to give Okada that record title reign um, and he deserved it and it was a good time to do it. And it gave the chance to have more matches with Kenny, who I think they felt was his big rival wrestling soulmate um, versus Naito, who is very popular with the fans. But as far as being a rival to Okada, doesn't have a didn't have as much spark and fire in that rivalry, um, so I can kind of see the argument for not letting Naito win at Wrestle Kingdom 12. Um, but yeah, it, they they certainly don't seem to have quite known exactly what he was supposed to do, if not that. Yeah, and and honestly, like pointing out like how obviously there were good reasons for Okada to win that match. You know, I think mm-hmm. getting to the 12 title defenses was a huge thing for him. And then of course, setting up the match at dominion against Kenny right. to finally have that crowning moment for him right. was beautiful. That match is still probably in my top five of all time. Um, but that, I think that speaks to a lot of the, um, the work that new Japan is doing with their characters, with their storylines, setting up these long-term things, like you said before, where like, these things can be debated in a way that feels healthy. Like mm-hmm. I can, like you could go either way out of Wrestle Kingdom 12 with Okada or Naito winning that match. And the fans aren't going to completely revolt on you for right. going one way or the other. It's, yeah. it's a thing that you don't see a lot of in pro wrestling, uh, pro wrestling's recent history. Um, yeah. I mean, especially for us in, in, in the West where we're used to like, Vince McMahon's just like whatever he has a fever dream about that morning. Oh God! <laughs> ends up being the booking choice, and that's kind of how we're used to to seeing things play out. Versus New Japan, who they decide things, you know, ten years in advance, <laughs> whatever. <Yeah. laughs> um, so it's definitely way different from what I think most Western wrestling fans grew up on. No, you're not wrong. I mean, Vincent Mann, we can just blame all of that on mechanical failures and just uh, <laughs> live to fight another day, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so we have 
<laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't pass up the chance. Nope, nope. You were you yeah. were right to do it. We we regularly roast the WWE on this show when they <laughs> rightfully need to be. Um they need to be anyway. more than roasted right now for that, but Yo, yes. you have yeah. no idea. Yes. Not really, 100. probably not in our purview, uh, but yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. No. There's there are things happening up in Stanford. Um <laughs> So moving away from from Wrestle Kingdom and Power Struggle, um, because obviously we still have World Tag League to get through, and right. and we are still a good two months away from that. Which, God, those two nights are going to be crazy for anybody that wants to stay up and watch those live. Uh, God, yeah. yeah. I um I don't maybe like should not admit this in a recording, but <laughs> I I all watch almost every New Japan show live. Same. Um, so um it's gonna be hard for people who aren't <laughs> crazy <laughs> like me and staying up. But um I find Wrestle Kingdom is usually pleasant because it's a uh, it's like an earlier time <laughs> than the rest of the shows. It's very true. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm very excited, of course, because it's gonna be, of course amazingly stacked both nights and then there's new year's dash which is always my favorite because that's where the drama happens um and i'm here for the drama but are we all i do kind of feel like a very slow motion like because as an ibushi fan this is like watching a child's sandcastle get destroyed in very very oh. slow motion just like oh, sitting here for two months like well that's what's gonna happen <laughs> Well, speaking of things being destroyed in slow motion. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we got our second installment of Kenny's Quest last week <laughs> on AEW Dynamite. We did. Uh, for those not familiar with Kenny's Quest, this all started at Wrestle Kingdom uh, 13 last year, where Kenny teamed up with Toby Fox to put together this awesome intro that did not get fully played at the show, which was a travesty. Um, but. You know, Toby Fox of Undertale fame threw this whole thing together. It was a lot about the clashing of styles with Tanahashi, but also talked about like Kenny and his his friends, and most notably the Bucks, Coda. Uh, um, I think Cody was in there too. But mm -hmm. like, just basically talked about a lot of the history behind what fuels Kenny Omega in his career and his personal relationships in a lot of ways. Um, and it that basically ended with Tanahashi defeating him and basically sending him in packing yep. from from New Japan. And this all resurfaced again this week in the second video, which was uh, incredibly like just way more dark <laughs> in yes. a lot of ways. Yeah. Um and just the fact that we've we've seen Omega be teased back into this cleaner role throughout the the short history of AEW Dynamite, you know, reverting back to the broom, the barbed wire broom, having this like on being the elite, we see him like basically kind of devolving into this sort of madness around the character mm -hmm. in some ways, mm -hmm. um, and then that all came to a head whenever a, a literal manifestation of the New Japan. Uh, lion logo mm -hmm. kept wooing him back to the cleaner in this in this video um basically 
like basically devaluing his relationships with a lot of the people that are closest to him, most notably the additions of Riho in that mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, Pharaoh, uh, Cody's dog. Such a such a good Important boy. Relationship, yeah. Yes, very. Um, and the most notable inclusion, though, was Kota Ibushi in the mm -hmm. graphic because mm -hmm. AEW and New Japan do not have a working relationship and are nowhere near close to having a working relationship. They're therefore creating this huge divide between probably two of the most popular companies in the world right now but also mm -hmm. the the two men who really spearheaded some of the that newfound popularity in kota abushi and kenny omega two men that are like super close with one another mm -hmm. um and you know i i read through your twitter thread about it and there was a lot of a lot of emotion that you pulled out of that um yeah i thought i thought it was um i thought it was interesting that the thing that the thing that was sort of tempting him or or being the 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 voice of negativity in his mind was the this sort of like twisted version of the lion mark um and i i talked a little bit about how um in the in the twitter thread that i wrote i talked a little bit about how um kenny's struggle was always sort of to be accepted um he uh, he always kind of felt that outsidery feeling that a lot of foreigners feel in Japan of just like, I don't know what's going on. This culture is totally different from mine and totally insular and hard to break into. Um, and despite learning Japanese fluently and just putting in his work and time at New Japan, I think Kenny always struggled with that or that was always part of the of the character. Um, it came to a head when he joined the Bullet Club and turned heel um, and sort of he turned that outward and said, you know, actually, I don't like it here. Actually, I hate Japan. I'm going to speak English and, and stuff like that. Um, and that was um, a different aspect of that of that same struggle to feel accepted. And that's always been there for him. Um, and as I said in my Twitter thread, it, it was lessened a bit by Ibushi. Um, because when they were the Golden Lovers, they were a, a, a sort of a unit, like inseparable uh, uh, emotionally. And that was part of the, the kayfabe too. They were just kind of soulmates. They were people who just kind of lived in their own little world together. Um, and so that made it, I think, easier for him. And then when he, when Ibushi went up to heavyweight, uh, Kenny felt really left behind and abandoned. And he was like, well, uh, this is the reason I came to Japan was to be with this guy. And now he's gone. And so I, I mean, even um, a few weeks before he turned heel, he was saying, he was in DDT saying, Japan is my home. And I love the Japanese fans. Um, and that, you know, that was just, just a couple weeks later, he was like, I was lying that whole time. I never loved you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he was like, I'm here for the money and the women. So believable. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, um, Not overcompensating at all. Right, exactly. That was, and I think that was an intentional part of his character, uh, of his heel character was like, definitely don't have any damage around this. I am just telling the truth now. 
<laughs> um, yeah. And so, and he, he kind of, the, the Bullet Club, uh, thankfully has kind of transitioned out of this, but at the time was very like anti-Japanese foreigners who were angry at their treatment, thought they deserved better. Um, so I think that the lion mark representing the negative voice in his head is, is great because it was always part of who he was. It kind of ebbed and flowed that insecurity and part of him sort of unbecoming the cleaner um, over after, after the Golden Lovers reunited, he was, was getting rid of that and, and coming to some ownership of, of himself, of his, what made him happiest and most successful in life and his place in Japan and in New Japan. And he, he kind of like accepted those things and said, you know, this is, I do deserve to be here. I have worked hard. Um, and I, I do belong. And it was a long journey, a long process for him that culminated in him winning the heavyweight title. And of course, uh, Tanahashi being, I mean, the ace of the universe, um, he is, he's, he's all, I love you and air guitars and smiles, but I think Tanahashi has a side to him where he can like kind of read people. And um, I think that he has this, this whole other side to him where he's savvy and he gets what motivates people. Um, and I love that about him because I think, you know, if he were just that fluffy, like smiley, dimply guy, then it would be kind of boring, but he has this whole kind of maybe darker side, I don't know. But Tanahashi, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying, there's definitely like a tenacious confidence within him. Like, I think most notably it comes out, like he was on commentary at an event a little while ago. It might have been King of Pro Wrestling um, when he was on commentary. And I think Jay White came, somebody came by him and was yelling in his face about how he is the best. And Tana just sat there, stone-faced, looking at him just like, no, I'm the best. Mm -hmm. Like, no, the I am like I think like that speaks volumes to yeah. like, the layers of Tanahashi. There's so many I could talk about it forever because he has that same thing like that Okada has that is totally understandable for the ace of the company, um, where this defines him being the ace, being the top, being the person in charge who defines the style of the company. That is him, and if he isn't that, then who is he? And Tanahashi has been aging. He's 42 or 43 now. So he's feeling his body slow down and he's in complete denial about it. Total, complete denial. And, and it's, it's jarring because we, as the audience who love him, can see him falling apart. And he's just like, nope, I'm great. I'm great. I'm, you know, <laughs> um, like the, the black Monty Python knight. He's like, nope. <laughs> you're like, your arm's off. And he's like, I'm, I'm invincible. This is literally yeah. Tanahashi's character. <laughs> um, and, he will and high so, five flow until his legs fall off. Totally, he will. And and it's it's so heartbreaking because the fans are like, dude, we love you. We will love you no matter what you do. Like he could just go out there and do an air guitar concert, and I would be happy. <laughs> you know, yeah. he doesn't even have to wrestle at all. I just love Tanahashi. <laughs> um, so it's it's such a bittersweet thing that he doesn't see how loved he is for who he is. He thinks that he has to be this like high-performing ace um but anyway <laughs> he, i think he uh he saw omega's insecurities um and was ready to prey on them um and i also think there's some like outside of kayfabe stuff where 
I think Kenny, if he, if he hadn't left, Kenny would have won that match um, and, and sort of put Tanahashi in his place because Tana was being an asshole <laughs> um, <laughs> at the beginning of that, uh, of that rivalry. He was saying like, it, there was this moment when, it, when he, uh, when he won the G1, I think when he won the G1 or maybe after one of his briefcase defenses, he's, he got on the mic and he said, Hey, Kenny Kuhn, this is new Japan pro wrestling. Like that is shitty. <laughs> God, just fucking like, wrestling dad, just like talking down to you. Yeah. And not even like that's nationalist. That's like, you yeah. know, like, Hey, yeah. you don't belong here because you're not Japanese. Like that is, straight up nationalism oh yeah um, and 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 everyone's like haha tan is so wonderful and he he can just do that he can just say that stuff with a dimply shining smile and everyone will just go yeah tana you're right um and and it's a, an amazing part of his character um and so he kind of just like zeroed right in on all of kenny's insecurities and started playing them up he's he all the lead up to Wrestle Kingdom before it became clear that Kenny was going to leave and they had to do this complete like 90 degree turn um, <laughs> with the storytelling. Um, it, it, Tana was just going, you know, Ibushi's better than you. He should be in one of the three musketeers, not you. And he's Japanese, don't you know? And <laughs> like works, he works really hard, Kenny. Like Kenny is is the kind of champion Tanahashi wants Ibushi to be. Like, Kenny worked his way up. He paid his dues. He put in the work. He did, you know, he broke his body. And at the time, Ibushi was like, I'm not, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to, like, put in, pay my dues and break myself for pro wrestling. I don't have fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at the time, he, he was like that. And, and still, Tana was like, he should be one of the three musketeers. And meanwhile, Kenny was exactly the person that, Tanahashi wanted Ibushi to be but just like he wouldn't consider it um so I think that because Tana is the symbol of New Japan uh that became even more like Kenny's insecurities wrestling with them and uh, not not no pun intended I guess but um uh, just the fact that Tanahashi was is is the living avatar of New Japan pro wrestling just made it even worse and so that it that kind of all played into the lion demon thing in the video being the voice of all of his insecurities and um and kind of trying to lure him back to the cleaner which is the place that he kind of went the last time that those insecurities took took him over and and got the better of him and so i i think that that was really about him fight trying to fight that off and and realizing what happened to him last time he became the cleaner um so and at the same time i think aew is introducing it, itself to new fans and so the cleaner is a pretty easy persona for pe people to grasp um mm -hmm. because it's just like a pretty straightforward kind of anti-heel badass sort of guy um but if you've been paying attention they also have this fan base that has been following them all so they have to cater to both this new fan base and this old dedicated fan base. So I think if on the surface level, Kenny's just kind of being the cleaner and it's fine. Um, but on this deeper level for the people who've been paying attention longer, he's actually struggling to not be the cleaner. Um, so I think that the, he's kind of doing it 
a good job of of bringing in the new fans, but also giving the old fans something that they can chew on. No, I completely agree with you on that. It's interesting though, like to see like the the dichotomy between the two sides, like the best bout machine and the cleaner and mm-hmm. having to see them coexist. It does remind me a lot of like what we talked about with Tana, where you have like the happy go lucky air guitar man that is out there to like wow the crowd and and get all of the cheers and love, but there's still this darker side to him that does come out and has to be there for him mm-hmm. to be the person that he is inside of the ring. I think you have the same thing there. Like the cleaner, it never truly went away in some ways. Like there right. still were some aspects of it, even within Kenny as he moved into the like the new age of the Golden Lovers. Yeah. Um, but being able to play up both sides and kind of explore their relationship with one another is super interesting to yeah. me. And it, it might not cater to the, the newer fans. I mean, newer fans would probably will grasp onto the cleaner character more so. And some of the more intricate details might be lost on them at the start, but I think it's a good way to kind of showcase the kind of storytelling that, that AEW wants to do and that honestly the the Bucks and Kenny and all the elite crew have been doing through their YouTube show for a long time. Yeah. 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 He um it, he does he, I think the the struggle with the cleaner like you said has been there for a while. Like it was really interesting how um in his G1 match against Ibushi uh last year because of course the last night of the G1 B block uh, last year was Ibushi versus Omega. It was hugely, you know, everyone was looking forward to it. Um, and it, it had been something that had been anticipated for a long time. And when he made his entrance, he was wearing a leather jacket and aviators. And, yeah. like, he was, like, it was a gray leather jacket. And it was cute. And, like, <laughs> he didn't, look, he wasn't, like, he was kind of doing the finger guns a little bit. But it felt like he was trying to put the cleaner on so that he could, so he could go to the place in his mind where he could hurt uh, his golden lover. Cause he, he had been talking about how he didn't want to do that. And they'd both been talking about how they didn't want to hurt each other. Um, and, and so it felt like he did this little bit of character work where he tried to reassume the cleaner persona that he'd been doing so much work to get away from so that he could, go to a dark place in his mind that he had to go to to hurt someone he loves mm-hmm. um so the the cleaner has kind of popped up a few times um and it's interesting because when he was in ddt uh last the other night he, the same night as power struggle there was a big ddt show as well mm-hmm. um he was introduced as the best bout machine and he was happy because he's with his tag team partner riho and he's back in ddt um and i don't know if that was just because it makes more sense to introduce him as the best bout machine in Japan. That's what he was last time and all that stuff. I don't know why they chose to do that, but it was an interesting little tidbit that may or may not have any bearing on anything, (laughs) I guess. Well, that's the beauty of it is like, you can, you can see where it would, but it doesn't necessarily have to like, Mm -hmm. there's so many different pathways you can take with it. And it's as someone who enjoys the storytelling as much as the athleticism in it, like it's, it's get the more you get me to chew on, the more I am going to feel satisfied coming away from it. Yeah, exactly. You know? Which I think plays a lot into the end of the, the Kenny's quest volume two video where um, we clearly saw sands from undertale show up, literally mm-hmm. tell the lion to put a sock in it. Mm-hmm. 
and and basically say that he'll take over for this night and that led into kenny coming out in his uh sans costume which i i'm just gonna go on record now if there's not a wrestler that is using the undertale soundtrack as entrance music um this is this is ex- the exact reason why that needs to happen because that song slapped so hard in that <laughs> arena. Yeah. And this is not, I, I play Undertale. I played Undertale. I love the soundtrack to it, but this, the, it just hits so hard. And him just posing with the pyro and everything, it was just, it was perfect. It was, I, I loved it. I loved every second of that entrance. He's, um, he's so good at that duality where part of you just like wants to give him a swirly because you're like, oh my God, you're such a nerd. But part of oh, you yeah. is like, this, <laughs> this is amazing. You're doing so, like such cool character work. I get it. I'm on board. Yes. Uh, he's, he's one of the best at making you like kind of try not to cringe, but also root for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I I think I really think that Sans stuff like plays into like the idea of he still has these strong relationships and these people that support him because right. like while Coda might not be there and, and that relationship with Coda is definitely strained, um you do have you still have people like Riho and Matt and Nick and um Toby Fox even like the fact that they were including Sans in there and, and the Undertale stuff in that pointed to the relationship that he has with Toby Fox mm-hmm. and, and it points to a lot of the uh the themes in Undertale as well so I think that it it married everything together really well yeah and it might not have played to like a widespread of the audience that might not know what Undertale is I know there's been a lot of complaints about that being like well, no one knows who Sans is I'm like there there are enough people that know who Sans is yeah to understand some of the things here and, and if they don't like that that depth I know you explored that a bit more in, in your musings about it, but I, I really think that, that that speaks to where Kenny is at the moment in mm-hmm. some ways, whether it's the character or the person, you know, whether it's Kenny or Tyson, you mm-hmm. know. I don't know what were what 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 are your thoughts on well, that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I saw a lot of people on Twitter going like, "Oh, it's so lame that he's shading Abushi, and Abushi's just not even thinking about him," and. Um, I mean, I'm a big Golden Lovers fan, but I also thought that that wasn't quite the right interpretation because Ibushi was included in this group of people who clearly do love Kenny and are on his side. Um, like it was the Young Bucks, Riho, Michael Nakazawa, and I think Hangman Page. Like those yeah. are the people who are with him all the time, who love him and support him. Uh, all of them tag with him. Maybe Page doesn't, but all the rest of them, like tag with him they're his you know his people um and so the fact that abushi was included in that group of like first he was like what about your best friend he was never by your side and that is part of the thing that is part of when kenny went turned heel the first time that's part of part of what he was telling himself was like he was never with me i'm by myself um and so it's just going to that place in his mind that has all those negative self-talk that sort of like you never deserved him. He was never with you. Um, and, and so that's, that's actually, then it's like, oh, and all the rest of your friends will be gone soon too. The mm-hmm. people who clearly demonstrably on television love you um, <laughs> will be gone too. And so that's what he's fighting off is that it, it, he wasn't shading Ibushi. He was, he was like, that's his greatest sort of insecurity is like, what if, what if I don't have him anymore? What if I don't have my friends anymore? Um, and, and that's what he was fighting off was, was 
that voice that's like, you don't have friends, your friends aren't with your friends aren't with you, your golden lover's not with you. Um, so he's I think that it's sort of setting up a, a struggle, like a he he's trying to fight off the cleaner this time instead of just totally lean into it. Um I didn't I didn't see that as a bushy shade at all. But also I thought it was cute because outside of K Fabe, it's like, what about this? What about your best friend? Like <laughs> silhouette of shonen anime hero with sparkles around him yeah he has a large trophy as you can see <laughs> um, <laughs> um and so in out of kayfabe it's like did you guys know how cool kota ibushi is by the way my friend kota ibushi he's really cool did you know um, <laughs> um so i actually think it was really sweet um and not shade at all and not and certainly not the thing where kota's just living his best life and ignoring kenny um <laughs> because yeah. He's kind of dealing with it in his own way, um, but he also talks way, 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 way less than he does. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so do most people. Yeah. Not wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess to kind of wrap this up, like, where do you see like coming out of that? Obviously, there are business ramifications that or business things you can read into that. You know, there's not really a relationship between New Japan and AEW. That's not going to happen anytime soon um but beyond that just focusing in on like sort of the the emotional part of this like will yeah. be a satisfying next step like yeah. obviously obviously um kenny is probably going to be tapping into the cleaner stuff in his match against moxley this weekend yep um so, so like yeah so like maybe coming out of that we might have some answers as to where they're going with this battle this internal mm -hmm. battle with the cleaner persona but even larger than that like what would be like satisfactory for like the next step in in kenny's quest do you think yeah i think that this match that he has with mox coming up is like because that was supposed to be kind of his entree into aew in the beginning was was mox like the very first thing that happened at uh all out was or the last thing that happened was moxley attacked kenny um, and so this is supposed to be, and then there was all these delays and stuff, but this was supposed to be the thing that started to define him. So um, it could be that this is the point where he goes full cleaner and, and like, just lets go and gives into the darkness. Um, that's, that's one way that, that this could go. And I think that you're right to think the match with Mox will bring out something. Um, or he will continue to realize that he uh, he doesn't need the cleaner to win um, and to be good and successful because he's also been losing a lot this time. Mm -hmm. um, so is he losing because he's fighting, trying to fight the cleaner? Or is he losing because he's... Like, is he losing because he's not enough the cleaner or because he's too much the cleaner? <laughs> I or, is he, or is he losing because he's focusing too much on fighting the cleaner? Oh, right, right. That's like the, fighting the, the internal yeah. battle, yeah. Right. So, but but I guess, like, he is, he, he's distracted by that internal battle, but should the outcome of that be he wins the battle against the cleaner or he just fully succumbs to becoming the cleaner again? I don't know. <laughs> I think probably given... Uh, just where stuff needs to go with AEW, he probably will lean into the cleaner thing. Um, but I think also like he doesn't, 
he doesn't seem to like want to do that. <laughs> um, and also like, I think it's very complicated because I know that he, he said in an interview the other day that like somebody was talking about collaboration with new Japan and he was just like, I wait by the phone every day or something. <laughs> um, and oh God, he really wants there to, I know. Um, he clearly wants there to be something and also I think that it seemed anyway that the the relationship that the young bucks have with New Japan was very like burn our bridges fuck you guys you never gave us what we wanted and Ken was more like I want to still have a relationship here because this is this is what built me and I owe my career to New Japan um, but I still want to go out on my own and so it's felt like Kenny has a slightly separate and differently strained relationship with New Japan than the Young Bucks but they are the ones who kind of are are running the shows that's that's my sense um that like outside of kayfabe um he still seems to like be holding out hope that he could do something with New Japan or maybe that New Japan would be willing to um send Kota to AEW sometimes or stuff like that I don't think you're far off there. I mean, we we saw recently Nick Jackson be very public about yep. like a partnership not happening, and the Young Bucks, you know, they have a reputation um, for for doing that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all uh, if if that's sort of the the dilemma that's going on bet- between all these different personalities and, and personas and everything. So, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll find out more this Saturday, at least the next cool. step. Yeah. Yeah. So. That'll be fun. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank um, you so much for a, having me. I could honestly, video games, anime, wrestling, I can talk lore all day. This has been awesome. Cool, um, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I confess I haven't played Undertale for like two, I played it when it first came out and I haven't mm-hmm. played. So I don't, I, I wish I could remember more about who Sans was in that because I'm sure that that would add some meaning to this. But Oh, no, it's yeah. perfectly fine. Like, the honestly i'm just happy to hear that you played it because like that game yeah. is a heart to me it's so good it's, oh, um, it's beautiful yeah i yes. i loved it i just didn't uh i put it away after it was done so i don't blame you i think <laughs> it's one of those games that's kind of be meant to put away after you're yeah. after you've had your time with it yeah. um but before, before we get out of here um is where can people find you on the internet um, I have my Twitter at, at effing boring, E-F-F-I-N-G-B-O-R-I-N-G. Um, and in my pinned tweet, there's a link to a lot of the wrestling writing that I've done. Um, I have, you know, I have a blog that I update sometimes. I have a kind of like it on ice podcast that wasn't really podcast. It was just me recording myself talking in my car. Um, and, uh, and I have a bunch of various other things that I've done or tried to do. So I'm still kind of trying to get myself going with a cohesive wrestling internet persona. Um, Mm -hmm. But (laughs) finding me on Twitter is the place to start. Um, And you can find links to other wrestling writing that I've done um, and other various commentary things that I've done. Awesome. Well, I will gladly welcome you back onto the show. Um, If you ever do want to, just throw all those musings back out there again. You won't have to talk to yourself in your car. Love um, it. I, I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. 
you know, much like sitting down with my guest last week, Corey Erdman, it was finally cool to actually get the chance to have a lengthy conversation with Rachel. Uh, we haven't really had that chance before now, and coming out of that, like, I, th- I think I might have found one of those kindred spirits in pro wrestling fandom. They, it's it's just awesome. It's always it's always awesome, and I hope y'all had fun listening to us nerd out over Japanese pro wrestling and the Golden Lovers for roughly an hour or so. I know I did, and I hope Rachel did as well. Um, but that does bring us to the end of this week's edition of LGBT in the Ring on the Outsports Podcast Network. Come back next Thursday and every Thursday after that. Make sure you download the episodes, and I hope you're enjoying all, enjoying all the episodes. Um, and that's when you'll hear from us again next Thursday. But I do have to throw some quick shout-outs before we get out of here. Um, if you want to check out the, the Rise Wrestling Show and the Uncanny Attraction shows uh, that I... Uh, talked about in the intro you can find both of those available vod on fight.tv um awesome place for all your ipay-per-view needs and of course i cannot end the show without thanking daniel quasar once again for the progress pride flag design that we use in our logo the progress pride flag design by daniel quasar is a product of progress initiative you can find out more at quasar.digital and of course gotta thank the the band that gave us our theme song here Huge thanks goes out to Sarah the Safe Word for the show's theme, Formula 666. That is from the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter, at STSWBand, and you can check out their music on Spotify and on Bandcamp at sarahandthesafeword.bandcamp.com. My name is Brian Bell. You can follow me on Twitter, at WonderboyOTM. You can read all of my awesome writings, musings about pro wrestling and sports from an LGBTQ perspective over at Outsports.com. You can also uh, check out my video gaming podcast that I host with a couple of awesome Twitch streamers, uh, Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin. That is called the Mr. Video Game Super, Super Show. That airs live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash Entertainment. It's no wonder I was a fan of the Kenny Omega Sans costume if you listen to that right there. Um, but with all that out of the way, I will bid you all adieu. The bridge, she made a deal with the demon so a lover could live. With the moon inside and the devil inside, stick. It's the formula six, six, six.